This week on It Starts With Attraction. Even when, when we were dealing with cancer, you know, I had I got a lot of feedback from people like, oh my God, you're you're taking this so well and whatever that means. But to me it was just really simple. Like well, I don't I don't want to feel like I'm a victim to this. Like I want to feel empowered. And really the only thing I can be empowered around is how I show up today. There's a process to falling in love, and it starts with attraction. Join Kimberly Beam Holmes and her special guests as they discuss how to become the most attractive you can be, physically, intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually, or as we refer to it, working on your pies. We'll teach you how to have better relationships and become more attractive to others, and maybe more importantly, to yourself. It starts with attraction, and it starts now. here with Casey O'Rorty. I didn't ask you how to pronounce your last name. You did actually. it. Well done. Well O'Rourty. done. <laughs> I did it. I am so excited to talk with her. We've already talked about hiking, non-hiking, <laughs> paddle boarding, all before jumping on and, and pressing record. But I'm excited because she is, she does a lot with parenting. You can find out about her and I'm sure we'll talk more about that. She has a book called Joyful Courage. She has a podcast called Joyful Courage, um, which has already been downloaded over a million times. Congratulations. That's a huge milestone. Thank you. Huge accomplishment. And so, yes, she does all the parenting things, but she also is a fascinating individual who's experienced her own share of ups and downs with her marriage and with her kids. Casey, I'm excited to talk to you today. I'm excited to talk to you too. And thank you for calling me a fascinating individual. I'm just going to hold that. I'm going to hold that. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And thank you listeners for being open to hearing more of what I have to say. Yeah. Mm. Well, let's start with what got you into this? How did you get started in doing what you're doing? Yeah. So I was a school teacher many, many years ago. And, Mm. um, you know, in rural Washington, I taught in a three-room schoolhouse in Index, which is this tiny little town in the mountains. And loved it and figured once my husband and I um, were ready to have kids, you know, figured it would be pretty probably easy for me to be a mom because I had this whole background with kids and um, which was a good thing because I was also really aware that I was coming into parenting with some conditioning and some learned behavior from my own experience of being parented. But I figured, you know what, I'm not going to be like that. I'm going to be a different way. And had my kids, um, had, you know, my first child, my daughter, who's now 19, and then two and a half-ish years later, had my son, Ian, who is 16, and uh, realized really quickly that a lot of the things that I swore I would never do as a mom were actually, I lived inside of me. <laughs> and it was going to take more than just deciding that I wasn't going to do the things to actually avoid in those emotionally dysregulated moments, avoid doing the things. And so right around that time, um, I was doing some parent education. I had left the classroom and really wanted to work with families and parents. And what I was doing wasn't really helping me in my home. And so it started to feel like there's got to be something else out there. And that's when I discovered a program called Positive Discipline. I was trained in Seattle in 2007. It was so transformational for me 
both in the practical around, you know, the tools that I was learning to use with my kids, but also in the personal growth and development. Like it really supported me in being in the beingness of, of mothering and parenting and in my awareness um, and in my own mindfulness around how I was showing up for my kids and for my husband. And that's really when I deep dove into personal growth and development. I discovered Brené Brown and Jack Cornfield and all of these people that have been so inspirational, Dan Siegel, in helping me in my personal journey in the role of mother, in the role of wife, but also in the role of being a woman in the world who wants to continually strive to do better, to be better. Um, and so that's that was kind of where I got started and then, you know, found my stride, worked with families in my local community, uh, started doing more and more work online, started my podcast, and then my kids moved into adolescence and I was like, I have been duped. <laughs> like everything I've been talking about and preaching, like I was really struggling to know what it looked like, how it felt when you know, you no longer have littles or school age kids, but you have middle and high schoolers who are like, mm. you know, this they're pushing back in a new and different way and growing. And, you know, all of my controlling tendencies really came to the surface as I, sure. as I moved yeah. into this period of time where the, really the purpose is to be letting go, to be offering mm -hmm. more space, to be allowing for mistakes and experiences. And oh my God, I was, I felt ill-equipped. And so I dug into my community and I was like, who's out there? Like I looked for other positive discipline trainers to help me and not the ones that are like, oh, just follow the formula and mm. you won't have problems. No, I, I think that's BS. Mm. I really sought out people who had already been through adolescence whose kids did kind of meander, you know, weren't on the straight yeah. and narrow, but really got into all the things and and have discovered through my conversations with them and then my own personal experience that really this journey is all about being with what shows up in front of you. And versus like how to make sure the things don't happen. It's more about how to mm. be with what's happening. And so now I'm really focused. My work is solely parents of teenagers, parents of adolescents. Um, and that's that's my mission is to support them in being with what's unfolding for their kids and what's unfolding for teens right now coming, hopefully coming out of pandemic is a lot of mental health struggles, a lot of worry and fear on the parents' part. And how do we be with this part of their journey and their unfolding in a way that allows for a soft landing and allows for intact relationship, even when it feels like they don't want to be in relationship with us. So mm. That's a really long answer to your question, Kimberly, but that's, really that's that's how I've gotten into it. And I've, you know, moved through uh, mental health challenges with my daughter, school refusal, substance use. Um, my husband was, you know, diagnosed with cancer a few, like a month into the pandemic. So, you know, I have, I have the word surrender actually tattooed yeah. to my wrist because I feel like for me, I must have 
prior to this lifetime said, okay, here's the big lesson. Give me every opportunity you can to let go, to be with, to meet the unfolding. And especially the last five years, man, I've been on a crash course towards surrender, 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 let go, let go, let go, for sure. So when you say to be with or to be present, how, what does that mean? How are you teaching that to people? Especially when they're, these are parents who want to do something, right? Like they want to see change. They want to do something. How, how tell me Casey. Yeah. I mean, geez. Well, first there's has to be a willingness, right? There has Mm. to be a willingness and a mindset shift because I think that for a lot of us, myself included at times, we're so used to because, you know, I, I it's it's kind of messed up, right? They come, we have our children, however they come to us. Mm-hmm. We have these kids and they are so dependent. They need us, yeah, right? They need us. And so we kind of get used to this role of caretaker, caregiver, manager. And then we move towards adolescence and that's not what they need from us anymore. But we are so mm-hmm. conditioned at that point to be in that role, that it's hard to release it and to shift, you know, and um, in the Positive Discipline book for teen for parents of teens, Jane Nelson, the author, talks about getting into the passenger seat, right? Allowing our kids hmm. to be in the driver's seat, our teens to be in the driver's seat, both metaphorically and literally. I have two drivers. <laughs> my yeah. husband taught my kids to drive because I was I could not. They they drove me crazy and I was like, I can't. I can't do it. Um, but we have to learn how to be willing to move into the passenger seat, how to be willing. And this was something that came up just last night in a group call for my membership of moms, of teenagers, talking about handing over the energetic responsibility to our kids around their well-being, around how they're doing in school, having conversations about, you know, what do you want? Yeah. What do you want? And how, what do you need to get there? And how can I be support for you? But keeping the centeredness on them and on their well-being and on their goals is, I think, a really important step in being with the unfolding because it's it we forget that this is their journey. Like the challenges, the celebrations, all the things that our teenagers are experiencing, those are threads in their tapestry of their life, right? And as witnesses, you know, there's some threads in our tapestry as well, but there's two different tapestries going on. Mm -hmm. And untangling ourselves and remembering that every challenge, you know, even, and I'm, and I'm speaking from experience, even when the challenges feel very scary, um, it's still, there are gifts inside of what our kids go through Mm -hmm. that are building resiliency muscles, that are building a bank of experiences for them as they continue to move through life that they can lean back on and say, ooh, I, I remember this. Or, or this is how I moved through that experience or 
But when we're the ones that are trying to fix it, when we're holding the responsibility, we're actually robbing our kids of having that memory, that muscle memory of here's what I did for myself. And it's not the same as abandoning them, but it is a, it is an energetic letting go and allowing and maintaining, you know, making sure to maintain relationship along the way. So yeah, meeting life as it unfolds is really you know, staying out of, oh God, oh God, what does this mean for the future? And staying out of what have Mm. I done to create this? What Mm. do I have to regret or beat myself up about? And just Mm. really being inside of like, okay, this is Mm. where we are today. Mm. How can I show up today in a Mm. way that is generating, you know, connect for me, it's connection and peace um, and love and possibility. You mentioned that your daughter dropped out of high school. She did. So talk us through everything you just said, (laughs) how you processed it and didn't beat yourself up for looking backwards or think, oh Oh, my goodness, what does this mean for her future? I did both of those things. (laughs) Okay, come on. This was my, so now we're talking about my tapestry, right? The threads of my tapestry, which were... What are you even talking about? Now, granted, Mm. this was the start of her junior year. She had had two really tough years. Um, Mm. One freshman year at a great big high school. This is when a lot of her mental health stuff really came to the surface. She has intense Mm. social anxiety, which was undiagnosed and really managed Mm. in a way that was not on my radar and manifested as mischief making, right? Because she was Mm. so uncomfortable. And then at the end of freshman year said, I want to do online school. I don't want to go to the local high school. And this was before online school was <laughs> was a thing. Was a thing. I mean, it was a thing, but people weren't, you know, forced to do no, it. Yeah. So I kind of, you know, honestly, I kind of ignored that request for as long as possible until she was like, No, really? This is what mm-hmm. I this is what I want. And I said, Okay. I mean, I offered all sorts of like, maybe we find a different school, maybe we do this. Nope, 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 nope. Okay. So sophomore year, she did that. And then junior year, we had moved and uh, she was going to do a program through the community college that's basically high school at the community college. We thought this would be a better fit for her. And meanwhile, you know, depression has shown up. There's a lot, you know, there's some eating issues that have kind of creeped in and, and things were pretty tough. And about three or four weeks into that quarter, she said, I'm done. This isn't for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I fought it tooth and nail. You know, every yeah. every way that I could that was okay with me, you know, it was like, what do you it's it's not hard in my mind, right? It's yeah. how hard is it to finish high school? Like it's a low bar, you know? And but mm-hmm. she, to her credit, now in retrospect, her self her self-preservation was off the charts. And she knew at that time Hmm. that she needed to really kind of hunker down. Um, And I resisted. I resisted. Mm -hmm. I resisted. I resisted until – and she, again, was like, nope, resolved. And so I said, okay. you know. And she was also saying, I'll get my GED. It's the same, mom. It's the same as a high school diploma, which, of course, I'm like, is it though? Um, And – 
And so, and in the meantime, I'm looking for mental health support for her as any parent out there of teenagers knows who's, who's been in this situation, the wait lists, the, I mean, it's so hard to find help and a provider plus that you have to, yes, it's a nightmare. And it's because there aren't enough people focused on adolescents and there is like off the charts amount of adolescents needing help. So it's a mismatch Mm. right now, unfortunately. And and wow. you have to find the right fit. Like yeah. for anyone, you have to right, find the yeah. right fit, but especially for adolescents. Yeah. And so she, you know, she met with a couple people and finally, finally I weaseled her in. I, I just had heard about this one gal in town and I'd already contacted her a couple of times and I contacted her again and I just said, listen, this, mm. I know that you're the right fit for my daughter. Please let me know when you have space. And, um, and she had space. And at that same time, we had been on a six month wait waiting list to get into a dialectic behavioral therapy program, which is, um, a specific type of therapy that's really skills based, mindfulness based, interpersonal relationship based. And they have it. They have a program here for adolescents. It's, it's like mellow outpatient. Um, she would see the, her counselor once a week, and then the two of us would do an hour and a half skills training workshop oh, with other cool. parents and teens. Yeah. And it's a six-month program. Yeah. And that was the game changer. And the interesting thing wow. about this was there was – I couldn't when – I, when I signed her up and the guy was like, well, there's a six-month wait list, I was like, are you freaking kidding me? This is not helpful. Little did I know that when we actually started the program, it was a week before my husband's diagnosis. So it was actually perfect timing. It was perfect timing, which is another lesson through this that I've realized too. Like we think we have this timeline of what we need and when we need it. And we Mm -hmm. don't know how things are going to play out for us. Right. And so with Rowan, as soon as I let go and accepted, like she's on a different path. I'm going to love her. I'm going to support her. I'm going to get the help she needs. I'm going to let go of this timeline. I'm going to let go of this, you know, typical structure. You do this, you do this, you do this and be with who she is and what she needs in this moment. Once I was really willing to do that, I was also able to really be there for her and to be in relationship Mm -hmm. with her and be the soft landing that she needed and the acceptance of her that she needed she got her GED. She went through a six-month esthetician program. She's a licensed esthetician in the state of Washington. She's got a job. You know, she's 19. She has healthy relationships. She still sees her counselor and she's so self-aware. Like, oh my God. She would have hated me as a 19-year-old. We would not have been friends. I would have been, she would have ran the other way, right? Because I was so not self-aware and just, you know, in my Mm -hmm. own stuff. She's amazing. And, hmm. you know, she she declared how it was going to unfold for her and took me along for the ride, even as I was not excited by that <laughs> at, at right. the start. Yeah. Right. So you were dealing with this at the same time you found out that your husband had cancer. Yes. So yep. talk to us about that. Yeah. So during that year... Um, oh, and by the way, this is the year that COVID like became. Oh yeah. 
Yes. So, yes. So exactly. Exactly. Our our DBT course was online because everybody was online because of COVID. So this yeah. is literally March 2020. Oh, my husband my had been living with physical pain in his body for about nine months. And when it first started coming up, being the good wife, good caregiver, <laughs> controller that I am, slightly codependent, I was like, let's find you some care. I'll make your appointments. You know, I kind of trudged him along. And then Rowan, you know, things started happening with my daughter. And I was like, okay, babe, you are a grown up. You're going to need to figure this stuff out because I've got this other fire going on over here that's really all hands on deck. And so I kind of let, I let go of being the driver of, of Ben's mm. care. And mm. he is a worker guy. And he... Mm -hmm. Is he had been living with a certain base level of pain? He's always kind of had back stuff. He's a a line a power lineman, so physical labor is his work. Yeah, and so I just had to let that go, and then, but it kept getting worse. Mm. And finally, COVID happened, and he was able to take furlough from from work. And as soon as he took that furlough within two weeks, started losing feeling in his legs. Like it was clearly, whoa. And the insurance finally was like, okay, yeah, you can get an MRI and went in for the MRI. And the technician was like, oh my God, he had a huge tumor on his spine, nearly eaten all the way through his spine. He went to the ER that day, that night I took him down to Seattle. And the next morning he went through a six-hour surgery to take this huge tumor off of his spine. This was April 4th, 2020. Oh my God. And then two weeks later, we got the diagnosis of multiple myeloma and began his treatment. Um, I really feel like all of our stuff with Rowan prepared, prepared me in a lot of ways to be with what was happening mm -hmm. for Ben. Like, again, was not mm -hmm. useful for me to look at Google and because, yeah. especially because Google's, you know, behind. So if you were to look mm. it up, the prognosis is very grim. Mm. Um, and I just, it was like, okay, here we go. We're on this. We're doing this. And I think it also served Rowan in a way because all the focus wasn't on her. She wasn't yeah. the problem spoke in the wheel of our family anymore. Yeah. Um, and I think that kind of nudged her towards, okay, if I'm going to feel better, I that's up to me to do the work. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was a wild time, Kimberly. I mean, it was like, what's that? Are we in the prequel of The Walking Dead right now with the <laughs> pandemic? Like, is this how it starts? And then by the way, what the hell? Multiple myeloma? Like, I've never even heard of that. It's a blood cancer. Yeah. You know, meanwhile, what am I supposed to do with this 17-year-old? Like, she's in her room all day, smoking a lot of pot and not doing – like, what is she doing? Not doing anything. Like, it was the trifecta of WTF. <laughs> and what's the alternative to being with it, right? Like, I, I, I just had to be with it. And I couldn't control it. And I literally, had to, you couldn't leave. No. We, right. The state was shut down. Like, where were you going to go? Not only that, Seattle was like the the ground zero, you know? And so when I had to drive Ben to Seattle for this, for the, for his surgery, I was like, what do you think it's going to be like? 
<laughs> in my mind, there were like white tents, like it's civil war, you know, like there's white <laughs> tents everywhere and people yeah. are in hazmat suits. Like I had no idea what to expect driving into Seattle. It was, it was very mellow. It was great. There was no traffic. It was, it was very, right. every, because everybody was at home. And yeah. that was our experience all through the summer going back and forth for Ben's treatment was like, mm. Hey man, the gift of COVID is there is no traffic to make this yeah. drive. Yeah. He ended up having a stem cell transplant, which basically it, your your immune system is taken down by a nearly deadly dose mm. of of chemo, and then they feed you your own stem cells to wow. regrow, which is really sketchy because we called him New Baby Ben, right? He didn't have an immune system, but nobody was coming over, and everybody was wearing masks anyway. So it was like, yeah. thank you. This is actually good timing. I mean, it kind of feels weird to say that because nobody sure. wants to have to live through that, but. Yeah. There were so many pieces that came into play mm. that ended up really serving us. Ben and I had to live in Seattle for two months. My son was starting high school. Rowan was finishing up her GED and they had to be alone mm. and pulled it off, you know, like really rose to the occasion. And I I would have never known how capable they were had they not yeah. had to have that experience our family just came so – we became such a tight unit. Hmm. I'm really grateful for all of it and, hmm. um, of course, wish that cancer and mental health crisis were not part of the story. And mm -hmm. there's so many gifts. There's so yeah. many gifts inside of it. So, How yeah. did you take care of yourself during that time? I took a lot of long walks. And on my long walks, I had a very, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever been through any kind of crisis like this, Kimberly, or your own flavors, but people that are listening might appreciate this. You know, things go down and you quickly realize who the people are that you mm -hmm. want to talk to because something happens, especially with cancer. Well, like with Rowan, it was people wanting to tell me what to do. And it was like, yeah. you do not understand the dynamic. And so, no, thank you. Yeah. With Ben and with cancer, I think people immediately put themselves in my shoes and then they get really scared. And so then mm. the energy becomes, I'm taking care of them, which mm. is not useful for me. No, so my list of who I would call on those long walks was pretty short. But they were all people that I could say anything I needed to say to, and they would hold space for me. They wouldn't talk me out of it. They wouldn't try to fix it. Um, mm. And that was a big piece of taking care of myself um, was being very picky around who I was. You know, I mean, I texting a lot. I wrote a caring bridge. People knew what was going on. But as far as getting on the phone, I was really yeah. picky around that. Um and I'm a I'm a I'm a meditator. I have a morning routine. I journal. I pour it out into the onto the page, um, you know. And I'm curious too. So I think that was that's part of my self care as well. Is you know I didn't have a huge emotional fall apart, and I was always curious about that. Like I would ask myself, mm -hmm. Am I feeling my feelings? Right? Am I in this experience or am I removed? Have I disassociated? And and 
and really allowing myself to explore how I was experiencing the things that were happening. I think that was a part of my taking care of myself as well. So, yeah. You mentioned earlier that if your daughter had met you at 19, (laughs) that you were not self-aware or any of those things. No. So what, over the, over your journey, what has led you to become self-aware? Has it been your education? Has it been the training you've done? Has it been life experience? What has it been? Yeah, I think that, I think it was my journey into motherhood and, Mm. and starting to, you know, like wake up to Mm. the places, how easy it was to move into this automatic reactive state and identifying how similar it was to some of what I grew up with, Mm. which, oh, that's and connecting those dots around the modeling that I received and now how I'm showing up. And then, you know, again, coming back to, but I don't, I don't want to do it this way. And so mm-hmm. that's really when my own personal growth journey began. And I'm a, I'm just, I'm a consumer. I just love self-help. Mm-hmm. I love a good workshop, you know, mm-hmm. and I am all in on the experience, right? I'm, I'm all in on the experience. When I went through, um, life coach training and the experiential processes that we went through in that training, super powerful all in. Mm. I, uh, was a coach for a coaching facilitation program for about six years, which was, uh, so good. And like three times a year, we were all together in person pre-pandemic, just rolling around in personal growth, in self-help, mm-hmm. in 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 the internal experience and the transformative experience. And I, you know, again, willingness, that word willingness comes up for me a lot. I don't shy away, I don't think, <laughs> from the dark stuff. Mm-hmm. And I say I don't think because we don't know what we don't know. And a good friend of mine uh, told me, she's like, Case, you know, we're not, it's not, life isn't linear, right? It's not like, okay, great, learned that lesson, moving on. Yeah. It's, it's a spiral. And so it's like, ooh, mm-hmm. learned that lesson, moving on. Oh, here's that lesson again in a new and different way, learning a little bit more, carrying on. Oh, here it is again. Okay, great. Thank you, getting the message. So <laughs> uh, that, and, but that ride, I'm, I'm willing to, and open to that ride. So I think that um, it was really coming into motherhood, making the choices to show up differently. It's also with my husband, you know, and, and the patterning that was modeled to me around intimate relationship. um, You know, it's another thing to interrupt and I want to, I want to. And so I get to do the work. And when I get really irritated and I'm like, what if, what about him? What about yeah. the work that he has to do? Like, that's not my man. My man is not like, yeah, let's divulge all of our feelings about everything right now and get into it. That is not who I married. <laughs> Me neither. Again, surrender, <laughs> acceptance. And what do I have power over? How can I yeah. create what I want in this relationship? So, so how have you done yeah. that? Well, <laughs> we go to therapy. <laughs> 
number which one. God bless him for going to therapy. I think once he realized, well, it was disappointing to me, but it was exciting for him. Once he realized that our therapist was not going to, it wasn't going to be like me and Connie against Ben. Right. Uh, he was like, okay, I can do this. And, you know, <laughs> unfortunately for me, she's like, so Casey, here's where, here's where you have some work to do. And I'm like, I got to tell you, I am not excited about this. Um, but again, yeah. it's, I can sit in resentment. I can sit in wanting things to be different or I can let go of, of blaming and of that energetic, like, well, you should be doing this and you should be someone different. And I can, mm-hmm. and I can make my own changes. And guess what? The benefit of that is I'm living in a relationship that feels good to me, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's not a, it's not a three-step process. I wish it was because that feels really clean and neat, tie it up with a little bow, which is what I like, but it's messy. And first yeah. I get resentful and bitchy. And then I have my moment of like, okay, what can I do? Right now we're putting down wood floor. We, Ben, Ben is putting down wood floor in our living space. And I'm a little like, it's taking so long and I just want to hang out with you. And then the other night I was like, how can I be a part of this process? What can I do? You know, and he kind of coached me through laying down planks and being a part of it. And it was super fun, right? It was fun. And it made me so admire Mm-hmm. he's not a floor guy, but he's like, I'm going to lay down this floor. I'm going to figure out how to do it and make it look really good. And that is admirable. Yeah. So again, willingness, right? Willingness to create what it is that I want in my relationships by stepping in and letting go of resentment. Resentment is, as mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure you talk about that with your people. I know. Resentment sucks. It does suck, but it's also kind of like that comfy blanket that people are like, yes, it's old and I've had it since I was two months old and has, you know, vomit stains, but it's my resentment. Right. And I, yes, I love that. Yeah. Comfy blanket. (laughs) And when we're wrapped up in it, we don't have to do anything. It's everybody else's fault. And right. Yeah. But it's become definitely when resentment shows up, it's a place where I get to, where I and when I'm willing on those days to get curious about, okay, feeling resentful, what do I get to look at right now? What do you do when you're unwilling? <sighs> Storm around. <laughs> yeah, I mean, ooh, when I'm unwilling. I mean, right? Like, it's just, I just feed the fire. When I'm unwilling, I'm feeding the fire and there's more to clean up later. So, so I'm snarky. What do you think takes a person from unwilling to willing? That's a good question. Uh, Well, I think practice is really important. Hmm. You know, if we lift up and out of that question, right? If, 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 you know, if we're talking about a relationship, like, you know, with our partners Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of stuff there. And we've held on to resentment and blame for a long time. That's going to be a tough ask, right? To move into willing to be the one to take the step or make the change or be in the creation of of something new and different. I think that we can practice and uh, lay down some stepping stones when we look at some 
lower stake places where we can practice moving into willingness um, so that it doesn't feel like, like such a big step. But yeah, but I, I also just think like, I'm curious as to why not? Yeah. Right. Like what is the, what's the, why not? Like taking a look at that and peeling it back again, like, well, because X, Y, Z, okay, but why not? Right. And really trying to locate what it is that's getting in your way. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, I think there's, depending on the the relationship, right? Like we don't break up with our kids, <laughs> but right. depending on where the relationship's at, like, what do you want and what are you willing to do to create it? What are you willing to do to create it? Yeah. Yeah. That's not a very neat and tidy answer to that question. What do you think? How do we move from will- unwilling to willing, Kimberly? The pain is high enough to do something about it. Mm. I wish that wasn't the answer. Yeah. But I think that's what it ultimately takes. Oof. Yeah. When your level of discomfort. Mm-hmm. For some people though, right? Like I don't think everyone needs to wait it out. But I think, but yeah, that's when the practice starts to unfold. And I just want to feel more empowered. Like, mm-hmm. you know, even when, when we were dealing with cancer, you know, I had, I got a lot of feedback from people like, oh my God, you're, you're taking this so well and whatever that means. But to me, it was just really simple. Like, well, I don't, I don't want to feel like I'm a victim to this. Like I want to feel empowered. And really the only thing I can be empowered around is how I show up today. Yeah. Right. And so, and I'm not the one with the cancer in my body. That was useful as well. Like just, okay, perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I don't, I don't want to live in resistance. It doesn't feel good. I don't want to live in resentment. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel good. So mm-hmm. that's where my willingness comes from is like, okay, well then what? Yeah, that's so good. Oh, Casey, I love it. <laughs> I love it. I could talk to you for hours. I am sure of that, but this has been an awesome conversation. Tell our listeners, where can they find you, follow you, hear more from you? Yes. Yes. So um, I am one of a three-person team at Sproutable. If you go to besproutable.com slash teens, You'll land right on the adolescent page, which is my domain. We're a company that covers birth through the teen years for parents. We've got um, classes and membership programs for the different ages. You can find my podcast on anywhere you listen, wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can just search for Joyful Courage. And I have over 300 episodes I do interviews, I do solo shows, I do series. I've just started to do on Thursdays a throwback show. I feel like, oh my gosh, do you I don't know how many episodes you guys are up to, but it's like there's so many good conversations and we promote it yes. for a minute and then we're on to the next. So I've yes. started doing a Thursday throwback. Smart. Yes. I love that you're doing that. Highly it's recommend smart. it. Um yeah, so there's two shows a week right now. 
And I'm on Instagram at joyful underscore courage. I have a Facebook group for parents of teens called Joyful Courage. Parents of teens, super original. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And I'm a coach. I work one-on-one with people. I have a six-week class. I don't know when this is going to air, but I have a six-week class coming out May 10th and a membership for moms of teens that uh, doors open July 1st. So there's lots of ways to to check it out. That's awesome. We will include links for all of it in the show notes so that people can find awesome. you. Highly recommend it. Go listen to Joyful Courage, the podcast, and access all of the fun things that Casey is doing. Thank you so much, Casey. Thank you so much. This was really great. It's true. Fascinating individual. I stand by <laughs> my statement from beginning to end. Thank you. I'm glad that I could deliver. <laughs> <laughs> Over-delivered. For sure. Here are my key takeaways from today's episode with Casey O'Rourke. I loved this conversation. Now, let's remember that when we talk about becoming the most attractive that we can be, a huge part of this has to do with how we show up in our relationships and how we attract people to us, not in a weird way, but in a what am I doing that is that is like a magnet, that people want to be around me because of how I treat them. And what Casey talked about was hitting the nail on the head. It is all about being there, showing up, being present. How can I take my feelings about this person and what they're doing and how that may reflect on me? How can I take that out of it? Stop worrying about what the future holds because of their decision or feel guilty about what happened in the past, how can I simply show up and be present with them right here, right now, and show them support for what they're going through in however I can support them? I love this. That's the key takeaway. How can you do more of that in the relationships you have in your life? Until next week, stay strong.